0: Care and we're calling today's program the art image. By art image, I mean the artifacts produced by painters and sculptors and other artists in the visual realm. But our subject today is not so much the images themselves as the way we experience them and the way we think about them. When an exhibition of work by the painter Claude Monet opened in Hong Kong earlier this year, this news was reported in the newspaper with a photograph of a visitor to the show taking a photo of a Monet painting on her mobile phone. Well, that photo might be a starting point for our discussion. What do we think we are seeing and what do we think we're doing when we view an art image? Why is it better, is it better, to go and see the Mona Lisa in Paris than to look at a photograph of it or a copy? What effect have ever more sophisticated forms of reproduction had on the authenticity, even the sacredness of the unique image or icon. The ambitious Google Art Project advertises, quote, the world's art at your fingertips, unquote. But is it art or something else? Galleries and museums collect and curate art images, and they also have an educational mission. How are they responding to the technological changes that seem to be transforming the field of the art image, and how are artists themselves responding? Well, M Plus is Hong Kong's new museum of 20th and 21st century visual culture, encapsulating visual art, design and architecture, and the moving image. The museum is part of the West Kowloon Cultural District, and it will open to the public in 2019. Both of my guests today work at M Plus. Leslie Ma is as curator of ink art and Tina Pang as curator for Hong Kong visual culture. Um, let me start with you, Leslie, and let's begin by reminding ourselves of some of the means of production, that have, of reproduction, rather, that have developed over the centuries. So we have our, let's imagine we have our original art image, a painting or something. What are some of the ways in which such an image can be reproduced?
1: Um... I think we sh- um, we usually think about reproductions as photographs or copies, um, but I wanted to sort of bring our thoughts back to something more historical. Um, let's say we have a calligraphy um, uh, masterpiece that may not exist anymore um, in in actuality, but it has been copied by the master's uh, disciples or apprentices.
0: So this would this would be an ink calligraphy. Yes. In Which may now have disappeared... Been burned for various reasons, or
1: burned or lost or buried with um, and, uh, emperor uh, collections. And,
0: and, am I right in saying that <clears throat> right from early on, there would have been copies made?
1: Yes. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of um, mm. museum pieces now of these iconic works um, are reproductions done by people of the same era or of another dynasty. So the only way for us posterity to study these masterpieces is through reproduction. Um,
0: and this reproduction would be by the same means by which the original was made. So it's another artist coming along, taking a scroll or whatever, sure. using ink and carefully copying the, the strokes of the yes. original it, guy.
1: It usually involves a brush and ink and sort of copying what the master was doing exactly by practice. By so the it medium. must must
0: be very difficult to know if you can know what the original is.
1: Yes, that's mm. correct.
0: Right. Okay. So that that's our first example. This is a very straightforward example of of a literal copy. Somebody learned copying, but let's move on to think of some other means of reproduction.
2: Well, following on from Leslie's. uh Example: I can think of um, also uh, calligraphic works that would have been reproduced in terms of carving. So the, the, the calligraphy of the original calligrapher could have been carved onto a stele, for example. The stele may no longer exist. But what may have survived are uh, rubbings of that original stele. And those in themselves then became, become a kind of um, a, a valued artifact in their own right because they're all that remain, of, of the original. So
0: just, this is getting complicated. So this is... We've got, our is. say, our original mm-hmm. calligraphy done on, on paper. Would it be on paper or on parchment or something? Mm-hmm. Then we've got somebody carving it into a stone. Then we've got somebody else <laughs> coming along and rubbing the stone, says, to, to produce another. So we've now got two degrees of mediation. Two
2: degrees of mediation, right. exactly.
0: And the steely could produce, presumed, could produce multiple... Yes. uh copies you mm. just like like a printing press mm. right? you could turn out as many as you want
2: I think printing is a very good yeah a very good uh, way of thinking about that because that brings us very neatly into perhaps more western model of printing engraving or mm-hmm. lithography uh copper print uh, copper plate printing um,
0: uh, C- can I just ask you you so you mentioned copper plate mm. printing what does, I've never understood this. What does the artist do? The artist engraves on a piece of, on a, on a plate?
2: Uh, it's a chemical process. So okay. there would be an original image, and uh, the original image would probably have been painted, <laughs> uh, okay. painted or drawn. And so the engraving would then be a reproduction using a, a chemical process which eats into the copper plate.
0: This acid.
2: Yes, yes. Uh-huh. yeah um, and then that would leave um, what do they call it a kind of reserve um, from which you can then print off from from the, the plate but of course the plate then wears down. so for example, I'm mean, museums like the Louvre um, has a very uh, comprehensive collection of copper copper plates and there's been some controversy in recent years about whether or not to pull. Uh, new contemporary prints from the original plates because', because with each, damaging the plate exactly with the, with each pulling then you're then you're uh, wearing it down just that little bit more, and so the the plate itself becomes uh, rarefied in some way and so okay. you have the difference between prints that are made contemporary to the plate being made and then contemporary prints
0: now that process that you're talking about this is a question you may not like, but is that are we talking about an industrial process or a creative process? I mean, the person who actually engraves the plate, is that an artist or is it... An artisan? An artisan, a yeah.
2: It's a good question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. <clears throat> You're obviously going to refuse to answer it. <laughs> right. Let's, let's go on to the age of what we might call mechanical reproduction. Yeah. Um, so into perhaps thinking about photography...
2: I think photography takes us into, in some ways, um, in some ways you could say a less mediated world because photography gives you the illusion that um, it's capturing something true. Um,
0: Okay. Now, you see why I asked you that earlier question? This goes to that. So photography, we might think, you simply point the camera at the art object, click the shutter, Bob's your uncle. You've got an you've got an image, that's not a creative thing. It's just it's an industrial process. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I guess the way that the frame, that how you framed it, or the uh, moment yes. that you captured it, yeah. or um, the you know I think photographer photographers will argue that, you know, the moment that they they hit the shutter, uh, were, yeah. you know, the moment that <clears> someone raises their hand, you know, there's good pictures and bad pictures. Yes, so I think yeah. there is some sort of creative moment okay. um, different from, you know, automatic uh, f- uh, cameras. Like yeah. CCTV, right, for example. Right, right. Um, yeah,
2: because <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, we mustn't forget that there is... Post well, there's post processing, right? So um, post production. Um, so you may point and click, but if we imagine the photographer in his dark room, he's also cropping, he's editing, he's uh, he's deciding what what it is the eventual viewer or audience will actually see.
0: Um, and he's, he or she is still a human being putting their mark mm-hmm. on this object so that it's becoming not just the original thing but X+. plus. Okay, and just to complete our rapid evolution um, through different means of reproduction, digital reproduction now, this is something that you, you are both interested in, I think. Hmm. Um, what kind of products do we get with digital reproduction well
1: I think we can in a way you know as your um as your introduction had talked about um the Photographs in everybody's mobile. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you you you've been somewhere, you've seen a show, uh, a, a pho- photography show, an art show. You take a photograph, and you have a record of that. You can call that a kind of digital reproduction. You can also talk about maybe this. We can bring it back to what we talked about earlier about calligraphy or painting. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to a museum shop these days. You have um, high quality printed um reproductions of a masterpiece where everyone can buy and bring back to their home, either to study or to, you know, frame and put on their walls and things like that. And, and
0: you might even have um, exhibitions of a digitized version of something. I mean, that must be quite liberating for museum people also for the public
2: yes yeah. and no i think <laughs> it, de- <laughs> right. it, de- it depends very much on the uh i, I think the quality of the technology the mm-hmm. approach to how you use the technology as a tool mm-hmm. um there is another layer which is kind of we have digital reproductions but then there's also digitally born materials but we can get into that a moment in in a moment if we have time but um if I, I can share perhaps just a, a little experience that I had recently in Taipei mm-hmm. where um, I went to see an exhibition of um, the Jesuit artist uh, Giuseppe Castiglione mm. who was, uh, um, I think, 18th century uh, a Chinese court and is uh, largely um, credited with having introduced a lot of Western method to Chinese painting. And as part of that project... Um, some, uh, there was an attempt to digitize a very famous painting by the artist that includes many, many horses. Um, and so within this kind of digital reproduction, which is blown up very large, which is one, which allows you to see the work in a completely different way. Um, the other effect of that is that you can actually um, manipulate the image. So you can pull out certain sections you can enlarge it you can move it around you can change the spots on the horse Mm -hmm. uh, this kind of thing so it introduces an uh, element of interactivity perhaps into what might have been uh, a passive experience Mm -hmm.
0: i want to come on to interactivity we must come on to interactivity in a bit but before we go there There's the big question that's been lurking in the back of my mind since the beginning of this conversation, and that's the question of the difference. What's the difference? So, um, Leslie, is there a difference, really, between viewing an original, uh, authentic, actual, unmediated picture, the Mona Lisa, for example, if you go to the the Louvre and, and go and stand in front of it there... Um, And then viewing some kind of image of it, some kind of reproduction. It could be a photograph. It might be someone has repainted it. Is there really a difference? Would you always rather go to see the original, if there is an original?
1: I think my answer is probably biased, because I work at a museum. and I will always Mm -hmm. argue that seeing the original will be... um, Something that I I, I would advocate, um, and I can I can maybe try to explain, you know, the top few reasons. Yeah, uh, that do. that's worthwhile. Um, you know, for instance, the Mona Lisa, um, or any painting, like you said, Monet. Seeing mm. the original, um, well, let's say start from the reproduction first. Um, you you kind of get the idea what the the image would be like. You know, it's a person's head. It's mm-hmm. um, uh, you know. Uh, lily flowers floating on the pond. But seeing the original, you really witness um, the artist's touch um, in terms of brushwork, the thickness of the paint on the canvas, um, how the work is framed, how big it is. Um, so the way that you interact with the, the work is very different from the way that you see it in the printed material. Um, so that there's that immediacy that you have with. Um, with um, what you're seeing in your, you know, in your um, seeing in your eye, <laughs> mm. um, um, there's also perhaps the experience of being in a museum, seeing these works. Um, the setting um, it mu- must be different from your desk or your yes. computer. Sure. Um, so you know, those are all added um, into the viewing experience. You know, art or visual material these days might not necessarily be just paintings. Um, there's works um, that we know that are made today uh, in, in in this, this century, in the past century, that are uh, performance based, time based. Um, there's you know this impossibility of capturing the work in one image. So then, going to the museum, you can see or experience more of it. Um, I think maybe Tina has things to add about um, which one, <laughs> where the difference would be.
2: Um. I mean, I think there are, there are pluses and minuses. Um, de- definitely, uh, from a, uh, a pedagogic perspective, um, the explosion in digital reproduction or access to images or access to information has been positive, so let's say you're planning, we all do this, you know, when you travel, you do a little bit of preparation, you do a little bit of research, you, you find out what, are the, what, what a particular museum is known for, and you do a little bit of research on, on what you would like to see. Gosh. So you can, it, it can allow you to prepare yourself, as, as he said, you know, you, you get a general idea of what something looks like. I think what you can't factor in is how that work will affect you there is a particular effect that's quite known well known within the museum field called the museum effect and of course when it's you the walk, museum effect as well when you you know you you there could be something very um, pedestrian that you see every day in your everyday life but then when you see it within a, a museum context and you see it within a case then it immediately has a significance that you wouldn't have other, otherwise given it and and to some extent, that's that's also what museums are in the business of doing. They are in the bus- business of focusing your attention on something, and so when we talk about, you don't see things in isolation in a museum. So there's the every everything you, everything that whether it's your you know, fellow viewers, whether it's the way that the the objects that are juxtaposed with it. Um, you're seeing things within a specific context. And so that frames how you understand it, that frames your kind of experience of it and possibly how and if you relate to it. Um, So I think that that this kind of... um
0: You know, I'm not sure I buy this as part of the, the argument in hand. So I can understand that something like museum effect, because you go to a museum, mm-hmm. you're going there in order to look at art. Mm-hmm. You know that the stuff you see there, mm-hmm. like those famous long ago, the bricks in the in the Tate it was a part of bricks. If you <laughs> if you'd met them in the car park outside, they would have been a part of bricks. But in the Tate, you know that they're they're a work of art, so you look at them in a different way. I understand all that, but that doesn't really go to the difference between you're talking about the yes. difference between being in a museum and not being in a museum, mm-hmm. whereas. While I take that point, I'm also interested in the difference between what we might suppose to be an original mm-hmm. um, art object, sculpture, for example. Michael david shows there David. There's a reproduction of that in a car park in, up the hill in, in Florence, right? Now, the one in, in the centre of town yeah, is, is the real yeah. one. The one in the car park is a copy. It's still it's an exact copy as far as anyone knows. But in itself... It's not any different, except that you know that the original has this history, that the artist touched it and, and fashioned it and so on. So I don't think I'm there yet in, in getting at what it is that consecrates an original art object and makes it... Because I think we all agree it is better. And I'm not saying we should uh, pulp <laughs> the Virgin Lisa and the Louvre and just look at photographs <laughs> of it. Maybe this is the time to bring up the question of aura. A-U-R-A, the word aura, because this is a, a word that has been used to explain what's special about a, an original work about before reproduction. Do you believe in aura, Gina?
2: Um, I'm not sure it's helpful. I do believe in it. <laughs> okay, this so that's a, slightly contradictory. Um, tell us
0: a bit about it. This is Benjamin, right? The, the, mm. the philosopher Walter Benjamin. In the 1930s, he talks about aura. Yeah?
2: So, uh, I mean, my understanding of the idea of aura is that um, something possesses a kind of sacredness and a kind of um, authenticity. Well, I'm not sure if I should use authenticity, but a kind of sacredness. You have
0: to use authenticity, I think.
2: Um. And to some extent, I think we're all a little bit spoiled in the age of reproduction too Mm. because I think that we have become so inured or uh, accustomed to seeing certain types of images and certain types of languages, visual languages, that uh, we think of things as being quite flat that we don't necessarily um, recognize. That something possesses a certain kind of aura or has a significance because it represents a kind of breakthrough in its own historical moment. So then we, then, then, you know, the job of a museum is how do you actually tell that story? How can you convey how significant this creative moment was? when you reproduce through digital means or you reproduce through print or you reproduce through photography, um, what you're seeing is content. So you're seeing kind of a form, uh, form, content, and to some extent you're being told something about it.
0: The, the notion of the aura of the work, there's something magical about it, it's as if it's surrounded by some kind of globe because we know this is this is Michelangelo, this is Monet, but this is some original calligraphy or whatever. Um and you put things in a museum because they are auratic because they, they have this special magical quality and yet the moment they're in the museum in a way what you're trying to do is to break that down because especially in, in contemporary museums right? you want people not exactly to climb all over the artworks but you want them, isn't this right to, to reduce the distance between the art object and, and the viewer whereas aura has to do with you know, you, you, you stand back from it and, and admire it, or even worship it. So, how does this work in the modern museum? What do you want your I don't what do you call them viewers, customers, clients? what audience. do you want them audience audience? You see, that's an interesting word, isn't it? What do you want them to do with the artworks? You want them to participate, don't you?
1: Um, I think what you raise is an interesting point, but I, I don't think they are conflicting. Um, I think, in a way, you want uh, your audience to come into a museum, experience a certain material, be it um, a painting, sculpture, performance. Um, yes, bring, we bring it to them in order mm-hmm. for them to feel that um, it's accessible, um, it's something they, um, an experience they can take home with. Um, but at the same time, I think through that act of going to a museum or seeing it on a pedestal or behind glass um, of some sort or some kind of presentation with a label. Um, through these sort of apparatus, we are trying to to let our audience and, and viewers know that there is certain significance in this uh, material um, that we present. There's a certain purpose that it's in this place in this room with mm-hmm. the other things uh, or during this moment uh, we are putting this on display because there's some, something contextual uh, that's important so I think there's, um, there's the content and the form itself but there's also um, the narrative and the explanatory um, stra- strategies if you will um, that we put these materials in I think what, um, what a museum does
2: at the end of the day, is it does present things, but I think what it tries to remind you, or at least maybe this is just me, but (laughs) it tries to remind you that behind everything there was someone and that someone lived at a particular time. And so there is, to some extent, uh, a way in which we're trying to expose um, the... Trying to expose our audiences to the real lived experience of having been in a different place in a different time.
0: You're talking about the way that the works can be contextualized by being put together, for example. But um, <clears throat> I'm thinking also about f- a question of ownership. Mm. Um, you said, Leslie, when you were talking about people can play with the, with, with the object, with the Castiglione uh, as our example. That seems to me an important part of what 's going on here, and this goes back to what, what, what I suggested was a contradiction in one respect. Tina, you want people to say these pictures belong to the artist who lived at a particular year and, and in a particular place, but the digitization and the interactivity is saying the opposite, saying they belong to you, they belong to the to the audience right. This is the contradiction, and, and it seems to revolve around the, the question of, of authenticity and, and reproduction, or, or the immediate work of art and, and the, the mediated work of art. I'm sorry to give a speech of that kind, but um, it's a question of what you want your audience to take away, not physically take away, but take away in their mind, is that right?
1: Yeah, I think um I guess maybe we can talk about it from a a, a different point of view also the, the idea of access and authenticity. Mm. Um you know, I think it's it's a it's a um uh, when you say, you know, people take photos of of an exhibition and maybe show it to their friends um as a, as a way to say I've been there, look what I saw yesterday. Um for museums, that's not necessarily a bad thing for people to take home this experience, even though it's ephemeral. Um, it's a way of p- publicity, yeah. right? You know, your friends okay. might want to go see the show, too, because they want to see the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they they just want to you know, have the same photo. We don't know. But um, in a way, you are actually disseminating a type of experience as museum-going, uh you know uh, experience something in person so that's that's
0: it becomes yours
1: it becomes yours mm. um and i think in a way what benjamin was talking about is is at the advent of um the mass media coming into mm. you know I, I don't think he could have imagined how he would dominate our lives but um at this age when you have a pro- proliferation of materials Um, you actually can own it in in your phone, on your computer. Um, But then there's also the original um, in an institution where you can get the um, the aura of the Mm, piece. Yeah. Um you know and and share it with with uh, people who went with you or or
2: and in fact, museums are um, sort of using this technology themselves. I mean, the Victorian Albert Museum recently caused something of a storm by allowing its uh, collection to be um, used uh, more or less without charge only for production production costs and so they are using reproduction and technology as a way of fulfilling their mission which is as a national institution to uh, share its collections with as large an audience as possible okay
0: we have used up all our time um, thank you both very much Tina Pang and Leslie Maw. Um thank you for listening um, this program can be reproduced as often as you want because it's available on on podcast thanks a lot